0: Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. This show is pre-recorded. Please enjoy it with us. Yay! How's it going guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Size Show podcast, episode 52.
1: 52? <laughs> Bro, I got C D there. I didn't even remember I <laughs>
0: forgot the podcast. You're We're like, here.
2: Uh, <laughs> how We're, are you? I'm good.
0: We're a year old. Congratulations. Let's give it a crisp <laughs> high 5. Happy birthday, there's, there's Jake. That crisp again. <laughs> As you could tell by the uh beautiful disclaimer we had at the start of the show, the Cinema Side Show has turned 1, one. 52
2: weeks, Jake. We went That's... back to back to back to back and here we are. It's so impressive. It really is so impressive. I'm so proud of you, Jake. I'm proud of you, man. Like this is this is crazy. I mean, you think about you think back to like Blue Velvet was a little... <laughs> it wasn't weekly, no. to say that. <laughs> and we have come
0: very far mm. over the course. We have now graduated, we're done, we're grown-ups, we're into ooh. 2020. We're ups now. <laughs> and here we are, episode 52, we've turned one. This is now, definitely by far, the longest-running show I've ever done.
2: Yeah, de- and definitely. And I'm glad I've
0: shared this journey with you, Jake.
2: I'm glad I shared it with you. This has been crazy, but it's also been like... I mean, there's a lot of benefits to doing a show like this. It keeps mm. you sharp. On your yeah. your filmic knowledge, if you will, I reckon it keeps you sharp, and you and definitely you have like really good
0: conversations about each film. Yeah. And I think we've kept to our formula, and it's it stood
2: fast, it stood so, fast and hard. But
0: this is a big episode for us because not only do we have a film that we're talking about later on in the show, we're going to do mm. our first ever. Cinema Sideshow Podcast Awards.
2: Whoa, man.
0: Which we were still trying to work out what <laughs> they're ne- gonna be called. <laughs> we never quite
2: landed on some names, but that's okay.
0: <laughs> I think uh I think the uh main I don't I can't even think of a a primo award. We probably should think about one before we proceed. We've got the Lemon of the Year, <laughs> of which we year. agreed, which would be... so. It's
2: like the Expired Popcorn Award. Jake, would you...
0: The Expired Popcorn <laughs> Award, that's officially what we're calling it for years to come. The, the Expired Popcorn Award is very <laughs> It's very simple.
1: It's very simple It goes simple to indeed. our
0: least enjoyable film of the year, oh. unfortunately. And the rules are pretty simple. We're only counting the title episode. Yep films so the 52 or 51 i guess technically yeah yeah um films that came before this that are in the title and are our film of the week yeah not the films that we watched on the side in our own time
2: that'd be way too much work way too much work (laughs) so the expired
0: popcorn which we came up with Mm. is it's quite simple uh it's the discarded popcorn that you would never want to eat. It's stale, not really enjoyable, <laughs> and kind of a waste of, waste of time. And a lot of carbs. And oh, a film is so that good. I, for one, looking at my list, mm. have no plans on revisiting in the near future, mm. unfortunately.
2: Um, I'm, fair, I'm fair there with you. Now, I'm, I'm scared because we don't, we don't really know each other's lists exactly yet. Yes. Now, we have conjoint on... A uh, a conjoint best or worst. Yes. So, so the we expired
0: bo- popcorn award
2: winner mm. has already
0: been decided, but the three runner-ups. Yeah, basically our three
2: personal choices yeah. uh, that lead into the one conjoint where we both unanimously agreed was the worst mm. uh, popcorn we've ever had, if so to speak. As per <laughs> stale, gross, lots of unpopped popcorn, basically.
0: <laughs> Whereas oh, right. our golden. A Golden chop Top Award.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Yes. I love this so much. I feel like
0: the Golden chop Top Award. Because, Jake, you and I, this is a bit of insight into the Jake and Zeke <laughs> cinema experience. We like our <laughs> Chop Tops. We do. We really do. Now, I don't know if they have these in America. Um, but in, in Australia, Australia. They, I don't know. I can't remember seeing them in America. Right. You know, when I get back from my trip, I'll be able to tell us if they're in Canada.
2: Yeah, I know. Our present selves are laughing at our pre-recorded selves being like you exactly. monsters Exactly but a choc top here in Australia
0: is very simple it's an <laughs> ice cream have
2: expl- <laughs> We have to explain the concept of it's a an ice cream top.
0: that has choc <laughs> <off> top <laughs> chocolate coating and yeah it's honestly it's really delight- you know it's delightful and every time we go to the cinema we pretty much get one every time
2: well, not every time, but we do tend... We do like our chalk tops. Yes, much,
0: much like our chalk top experience, it's fleeting but enjoyable nonetheless. <laughs> so the golden Choc top is the primo of this. You don't want to watch it every day and you don't have a chalk top all the time, but you'll happily revisit it and, and eat it.
2: Uh, you know what? This is going well. <laughs> yeah.
0: The expired popcorn and the golden chock top. We weren't going to do like the cinema sideshow Oscar goes to because like... We're a fun podcast We're a fun one We have a We have a We keep it chill And let's be honest We all enjoy a good chalky top <laughs> And we hate let, We hate expired popcorn like, If popcorn could be expired It's like let, Let's just do this Alright <laughs> Sorry I had to justify it No I know I have to I explain know. This is the first ever awards mm, That's true I feel like we should have Dressed
2: for the occasion I mean I don't know what you're talking about I dressed very fair. <laughs>
1: So you don't
0: want to explain that. (laughs) Moving into the expired popcorn award territory. I can't believe this is like the
2: worst show yet. (laughs) Well,
0: it should be the stale popcorn because it doesn't go expired. Uh, uh, Yeah, I suppose. So the stale popcorn. (laughs)
2: I think we really need... No, we're good. Let's keep going. All right. Let's... We, really... Uh... we really should have
0: established this before the show started. No, You'd love... think after a year. But I. we thought we'd live brainstorm it.
2: Yeah, why not? We've live brainstormed in the past. Yeah.
0: So the Stale Popcorn Award, as right. it will be officially called for years to come. And so we may hate ourselves. Is this
2: our main, or are we going our personal choices first? We'll go...
0: Pers- we'll start from number three each. Okay. Uh, and then we'll work our way to the Stale Popcorn Award winner. All so, right. Jake, what was your
2: number three? This is the one you're going to kick me in the ass for. I feel like you got your version that I'm going to kick your ass for. I'm going to put the other side of the wind in there.
1: Oh,
2: And I apologize. It's a fine film. It just came and went, you know. and Much I, like the wind. Exactly. It literally is just like the wind. And it just, I don't know. It just, to be fair, I watched him really not great conditions. I actually watched it over two sittings and mm-hmm. I was like running around. I was going crazy. I think it was like right after my disconnected premiere and we did. Yeah, we know we did. Of course we did a whole episode on it and I, I maybe should have gone back and listened. Maybe I will actually go back and listen mm-hmm. to it. I just don't remember anything about that film. And, uh, that's why I unfortunately ends up on the, on the far end of my stale popcorn list, but nevertheless is in the list. Yes. Fair
0: enough. Well, I will return the serve. Oh, Okay. Uh, with Don John. Whoa! Um, you know so, what?
2: I'm not that surprised. Yes.
0: Um. So looking back on the episodes that we have done, we've done some bangers, as we'll get to when we get to the Golden Choctop mm, Award, the fun part. Um. But yes. Um. Quite simply, uh, Don John was much like the other side of the wing. Came, <laughs> went, and don't really have much to say with it. It felt much like. Slightly stale popcorn, <laughs> still satisfactory enough, but not quite. Yeah. What, I, what I need.
2: Well, but. I remember, I mean because it was it was probably one of the very first times that I just I straight up blind pitched you a film. Yeah. Or pretty much, I I pretty much, I pretty much selected that film to be out like in that slot without you even mm-hmm. knowing what it was. That was the
0: second director's corner.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. With Jessica Levitt, so I kind of threw you in that one and i remembered you being a little less than enthusiastic about it and even me rewatching it for like the third or fourth time whatever it was i remember walking out being like oh wow that was actually not as great as i remembered it being yeah
0: it was very so yeah it's something if you put on netflix you'd be like yeah that's all right but i i i was more than impressed but like it fits in that netflix category of entertaining enough but yeah not world-changing
2: yeah, exactly. It wasn't as smart as I remembered it being. Absolutely. So I can totally... I actually think that's a perfect comparison to The Other Side of the Wind, where I don't hate the film, but you're right. It, it just fell in that slot that you don't really want it to fall into, but it just does. It's a shame. No worries. Well, yeah. number two for you, bud. uh For number two, it's probably going to have to be It, Chapter 2. That's, uh, I'm
0: going to agree. We're both going to have the same number two, I think. Oh, so okay. There you go. I also did It, Chapter 2. It's... Sucks. Yeah, it actually sucks. That movie sucks. <laughs> the, the, we went and saw that in a in the cinema with Jack, if I recall. Yeah, the three of us went. And, and I remember, oh my god, being scared but impressed with the first one, and this one was just kind of funny. The fat boy stuff. I think we were, t- <laughs> we were joking
2: about for weeks after that. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Pennywise is just a bully in that film. He's <laughs> <It's> not even. <laughs> You're losing your shit right now. This is the bully. This is me. Funny. He, he's, he's, the person he's making fun of isn't even fat anymore. <laughs> he's like buff as fuck, and
0: the the film's kind of oh, oh confusing because it's trying to like it leads in like fourteen different directions. But the final fight is like fifty minutes
2: long. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Jesus Christ. It is a you, hot mess of you a film. Know, you know what? I would give the award. I would give this to the popcorn. You would happily disregard. And the reason I say that is because this <laughs> really this is literally a film. This dickhead was on his phone the whole time, so I threw my popcorn at him. <laughs> so, uh. You know what the funniest thing is this episode great.
0: 52? I think this might be the funniest episode.
2: <laughs> when, uh, and then the film of the week is uh, a little less funny. But, no. uh, but, uh. No, we have to switch tones. We'll get into that. All right, so that's your number two as well, then. Yeah,
0: so let's All move right. into the official runner up. Okay. For the Stale Popcorn Award of 2019 <laughs> on the Cinema Sideshow podcast. Uh,
2: for me, it's going to have to be, and you're not going to be surprised at all, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly and Evil, and Vile is my number one. Now, I think this is actually a better film than It Chapter 2. I'd, oh, yeah. yeah just, definitely. My issues with this film were so clear and concise. And if you go back to episode 17 and you listen to our our discussion of that film, and it's mm-hmm. probably one of my favourite episodes we've ever done. Yep. Just because the two of us from, like, a chemistry point of view and the, the episode's a very sharp 62 minutes. is a very tight episode. So the, the episode and is your favourite. It's just... It, the film is <laughs> just synonymous with... I. We don't have but, a favourite podcast episode category. <laughs> <laughs> but that's me. Like, when we talk about It Chapter 2, yeah. it's like, oh, it's, like, amusingly not good. Like, we can laugh at this... There's this I issue, think, there's like, this issue. I like things
0: when you were throwing popcorn yeah. at that dude, it was just
2: funny. And it's just <laughs> a testament to the film. Yeah. You know? But that's, yeah, exactly. Whereas, with, yeah. With Extremely Wicked, though, I was so passionate, even though it's a, I think it's a better film than It Chapter 2, I was so passionate with my faults about that film. With yeah. The, the narrative issues, the fact that the film doesn't know who its protagonist is. All that stuff, I was so passionately angry about it on the podcast. That's why That's it has fair. to be my personal number one. So, okay. What about you? My
0: runner-up for the Stale Popcorn of the Year Award yep. goes to Captain Marvel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. By me. <laughs> now, it's funny. I did have... This is what my my notes literally says. So it's it lists these films, and at the end of those three films, it just has some brackets. No Captain Marvel question mark.
0: <laughs> so the the funny thing is, I've got a couple here. So I put Far From Home on my consideration for me too. I did too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm glad we didn't do Ant Man and the Wasp because that also came out this year. For
2: no, that was, no, was, didn't. That was before. Man, I'm broken.
0: Yeah. Um. Even Endgame, it, it would not It would be sitting somewhere in the middle Endgame. It wouldn't be a Hallmark or anything. It was not that bad. But yeah. Captain Marvel felt like, oh, where do I begin with Captain Marvel? It's I mean, stale. Bojack does a really funny skit on it in that last, uh, that well, soon oh, to be uh, previous 6A season. Because 6B is coming out relatively yeah, soon. Yeah, it's, it's uh, sooner rather than later at the moment. Yeah.
1: That but, season.
0: Um. Yeah, they make a good joke with uh, Kelsey on that, and how she walks in and talks about the lady superhero. Damn, bit.
2: I didn't even. Ma- That's so clever. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah,
0: but um, this film felt like nothing. All of the publicity around it, and um, I can't even remember who's the lead chick. What's her name? Brie Larson. Brie Larson <laughs> and her various f- picking a fight with anyone that didn't have who had an opinion that was not positive. Hmm. Um, I mean, we've talked about. On many episodes, stronger female protagonists, which might rock up in my other list Ooh. for the golden chocktop. Uh-huh. Uh, it'd be really funny to get these actually made into trophies, <laughs> but um, we just send them to the producers.
2: <laughs> and
0: they're, and they're just like, they're looking at, like, what the fuck is I this? Mean, <laughs> I think my favorite part about Captain Marvel was probably Ben Mendo.
2: And there you go. And um, you know, it's like, and that guy has a penis. <laughs>
0: It's just... I'm sorry. <laughs> it's such a nothing... Right? Do you remember anything from the film? And I, I followed it up.
2: I, I mean, we knew it. We literally were in the theater being like, this is the flattest C-grade film ever. Yeah, and it, all, it
0: gets a C-minus because of how yeah. just in your face it is. Like, having her come out in her triumphant fight moment to I am a woman is like oh, so the like, choice, yeah. Did you know this is a woman main character? I
2: didn't <laughs> pick up on and, that.
0: And everything from even like the the Russo's use of her in the final film and how completely disregarded she pretty much is in that mm. film. She essentially rocks up right at the end because. Blows up a ship. You can really feel like. I mean, we talked about it on that episode that the Russo... It almost feels yeah. like the Russo's didn't want her in there and yeah. the studio execs were like, you need to have Captain you. Marvel in there. Right. They blow up a ship or something. Do <laughs> something big CGI stuff. <laughs> you know, be- we'll figure it out a month before release. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I gave it. I think I gave it a five and a half or a six out of ten mm-hmm. when I was doing my my challenge. It just like it's such a flat. It's a nothing, nothing film. Yeah, film. I will never rewatch it. It's not. Even, it's there are the, not many MCU films out there I'd rewatch, and that would be close to the bottom of the list.
2: It's funny because like with the MCU films that, I mean, there's a few MCU films that you could skip to understand the overall arcs sort of the thing. I think Captain Marvel is the only one that actively like ru- not ruins, but like it, it goes back on some of the lore. Like, you know how mm. you have certain sequels that like, wait, but that means this doesn't make sense. And this, Captain yeah. Marvel's the only one out of like 23 films to to actively ruin some of the lore. Yeah. And so it just some just of it doesn't make sense anymore. Put that right into the finish line. So yeah.
0: not good enough. Didn't enjoy it. Oh, well. It. And enjoy your pretty stale experience with that
2: film. <laughs> well, Zeke, what is our official uh, sort of award going to go to? So, the Stale Popcorn
0: Award, <laughs> awarded by Jake and Zeke of the Cinema Sideshow Podcast mm. for 2019... 2019! ...goes to The Lion King 2019. <laughs> Mate, I was going to put in a stinger for it, but...
2: What's yours? Oh, you go ahead. I know what you're going to do. <laughs> like, I mean... <laughs> <I'm in you. laughs> Throw that
0: back in Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> What is going on? I'm sorry. I I legitimately, this film was the most unnecessary, and we look back on it, and it made so much money.
2: So much money. It made well over the original 1994 animation That's sad. That makes me sad. I think it's in the top 10 highest-grossing films of all time. This film is such a nothing film, and Mm. you went and saw
0: it in the cinema. I saw it in the cinema. I didn't. (laughs) I I refused to pay for it, this one. Um, and, and I still got a stale fuck experience I threw the popcorn back in the concert This, yeah, congratulations Lion King Wait, who directed this one? Favreau? Favreau Man, you, dude, you did Chef, come on like, like, and we talk about how much we like some of Favreau's films Favreau is uh-huh. a talented man I like The Jungle Book did, was the Jungle Book necessary? It. No. These films aren't necessary. And hopefully
2: this award... But Disney won a few extra bucks. Yeah. I mean, so they've got Disney Plus now, right? Yeah. So. For your Lion King live-action spin-offs. Cool. <laughs> we could see Seth Rogen
0: playing Pumbaa again or whatever.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's the biggest thing with the Lion King. They use a script that was already written decades ago using a cast that is significantly less talented than the original cast. But, hey, yeah. people know... Bloody Beyonce! Yeah, she can't act, but she sings, and it's yeah, you know. And
0: it's, it's such a, it's such a like all the decisions. Where, where's the direction? Where is the there direction? Is no, there in this is film? no direction, and in we'll this talk film. about it when we get to the golden, you know, the, the golden chalktop Awards. Right? Yeah. What real direction's all about? But <laughs> you know, Favreau here, just
2: yeah. nothing. I refuse to believe he actually did anything for this I'm pretty film. sure he
0: didn't. He probably just sat in his house next to Robert Downey Jr. and was like, huh, we're making a lot of money this year, you and me.
2: <laughs> he's like, I'm in like four Marvel films this year. There's not even four coming out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he literally is in like, how many, how many was he cause in? Because he's in Endgame and Spider-Man. Dude, Favreau made bank this year. And he has his new chef spin-off show on Netflix. There you go. He's, uh, he's racking it in, my boy. He doesn't have to direct movies anymore They just Enjoy come your out stale popcorn <laughs> Do a review on that he sure appreciate that award <laughs> Nah no worries uh, Alright well, well let's can... be a little more positive on this show I know
0: let's I think it's it. been a strong opening with that <laughs> I had a lot of fun with our uh, stale popcorn But now right. it's time to move into Like I said at the start of the show The Golden Chock Top
2: mm. award Golden by The Golden Top <laughs> It's so
0: good <laughs> <laughs> How good are jockeys? They're jockey tops. They're oh, great. they're brilliant. Uh, All right. Couldn't get more Australian than that.
2: All right. Well, we're going to do a very similar mode of system. I want you to start this time with your number three. That's okay. My number three for this year
0: for the Golden Chalk Top Award, ordered by the City of Show podcast. Mm. It goes to The Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. Now, we talked about this back in episode 42. 42. 42. That is correct. Um, congratulations. Uh, that film won the big five. Probably doesn't need any more accolades. Hence why it's a little bit further down on my, uh, my pegging
2: list. I want to give a little bit more shout out to... Because it it wasn't necessarily a discovery we made on the show. No. Like we, we've both seen this film years ago.
0: Yeah. And I think the, the, the chocked up awards should go to someone that, you know, needs it a little bit more. Not Mm. the five time (laughs) Oscar winning, but as you can go back to episode 42 for our discussion. It was great very, discussion on that great one. discussion um it's a fantastic film mm. and still is a fantastic film and i can re-watch that film once a year and still enjoy it immensely so it,
2: yeah it's going back to it this year was just, it was really eye-opening again like the direction and the, the way it's shot and the performances my god it was like wow this is like you're right you can this is like a horrible film in terms of the the the, the not necessarily the gore but like it's a it's a terrible experience to like, go through, but it's like it's also very rewatchable. Yeah. And it's very good. Yeah. I hope you know what I mean by terrible, though. As I in, do. Like, yeah. Uncomfortable. It's un- uncomfortable. It's a very uncomfortable film, but I can watch it every perfect. day. Um, yeah. It's damn near perfect, that film. So much fun to watch.
1: Must cool. watch. All
2: right. Um, right. Oh, I'm going to have to pick a third. Now, I'm going to pick this one knowing that... Y- I do have other choices in here that would make my top three. I've got a few here that I need to navigate, but I'm going to. I think before we talk about uh, the winner of this year, we can bring out honorable mentions. Okay, cool, cool. I'd love to do honorable mentions. That being said, because I know some of these you might bring up anyway, in your top three, I'm going to bring up Dogtooth. Now, it's a very. uh (laughs) It's an interesting choice there, Jake. Interesting choice. That was uh, Jesse Newell. guest special. First uh, guest spot. On episode six, I believe, that he brought Dogtooth to us and it was a very Because we didn't do the favourite, did we? We didn't do the Favorite. No, we didn't the do show. the Favorite. We that was the I think it was the first film I watched this year. But we didn't start the podcast so like the twenty first, so Yes. We didn't end up co- it could have been. I think it got talked about
0: in the first episode.
2: We definitely talked about it, it just it very unluckily didn't make our like title list. Because yeah. I think, you know, we're doing like private life and Roma and stuff, and by the time we got into it, the favourite was just a little too away from release. Um, But with Dogtooth, um, yeah, and that was... I'd already seen, like, the lobster and stuff prior to that. But I think that film, it was just so unique in that way. And I just... There's so much I remember about it. It's not a very easily watchable film. I mean, there's incest. There's very uncomfortable levels of, like, violence in there. And some of the... Excuse me. Some of the family sort of dynamics you see in that film were just so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I just, it was just so. It found the perfect balance of like, entertaining from an artistic point of view, and so visually mesmerizing. Like I remember the visuals of that film so clearly, and I also thought it was a fantastically unique film to do very early in the show.
0: Yeah, it was a very brave step yeah, for to us.
2: to do it right away, and and yeah, and also also having Jesse come under. Introduce us to the film and then chat with us about it was also also really cool. So yeah, no. that will probably be my third pick because of that reason.
0: No dramas. Well, my number two pick, mm. uh, just consoling my list here, it has to go to um, a film that I very much enjoyed, um, mm. and you did too. Yep. Um, and I'm going to stick down the classical lane. We're going to go even further back in time. Ooh, I think
2: I know what you're going to do.
0: I think it is, to this date, the oldest film. That we've done on the show. Uh,
2: oh, oh! Once upon a
0: time in uh, the yeah. West.
2: Very nice, very nice. Uh,
0: gets my, I guess, third place for the Golden Chokey
2: Top. Yeah, it would be in the the third place third overall. Third place I suppose. Spot overall. Um. So this film, we had a
0: huge discussion about this film, and uh, mm. I've talked about it. Obviously, it served as our eighth director's corner, Sergio Leone. Um, and yeah, we've done a lot Of these shows Haven't we <laughs> Yeah And uh, It was fantastic It's it's Cinema must It's classic Western cinema At it's finest And it's It's One of if not At least in the top five Best films of the 20th century
2: Yeah I Fight me <laughs> oh, no. no Well like I said it When we reviewed it I was so Shocked at this How good it was And I guess I wasn't I guess I shouldn't have been shocked But In terms of I wasn't even half an hour into the film, and I already knew it was my favourite film soundtrack from. And I'm not just talking about music; I'm talking about the entire soundtrack of any film ever. And I knew that from mm. the first thirty minutes. And it's also from a visual standpoint, so 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 impressive as well. Oh, yeah. So just from, I, I don't think I enjoy it as like a, on a personal level like that, but as a filmmaker. I was like, holy crap, like this is a film. Like this it, is required viewing right here. It
0: absolutely is required viewing. I think both the films I've talked about and even uh, the film that you just discussed, they are all these are all required viewings mm-hmm. for different reasons. But if you are a filmmaker and you have not seen this film, I I don't you're missing some huge lessons of film. Yeah. And oh, particularly so the, the yeah. scholarly articles that come out of this, the teachings that come out of this, mm. the legacy this film. Made for shows like Breaking Bad, as we discussed yeah, in the show. Yeah, Huge. So what about you, Jake?
1: Insane.
2: What finishes third? Ooh. God, this is going to be tricky. So obviously the dog Tip is my third. You've done Silence of the Lambs and now Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, I'm torn between two options here. They're both equally phenomenal films. I'm going to have to go with Roma right now. Roma is... The continuation one of the very first films we did on the show, number two, and uh, oh my god, it's 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 mind blowing. First, yep. I got robbed for several Oscars, I mean, it still won a bunch. <laughs> you it, get it, robbed, it definitely for a few. won. I think it won Best Direction, Best for Cinematography, uh, which means that uh, Karam would have won two Oscars like personally, won two Oscars himself. That's, pretty great. That's awesome, but it should have won Best Picture as well. It was, it was fantastic, I mean, it was the actress. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, another character seems Cleo, I believe. Yeah, she has a very,
0: uh, not to be rude, but a very tough name to pronounce. I remember we struggled quite a bit on the oh. episode. <laughs>
2: yeah, because we had to read like ten of those kinds of yes. names on that episode. But um, her yeah, that performance is just insane as well from a non actress as well. And on everything, I remember that film from a visual standpoint, just, you know, we're talking about Once Upon a Time in the West, Mm -hmm. this film visually from a cinematography point of view is just fucking outstanding. Mm -hmm. It's just, I remember every frame of that film so vividly because it's so well shot and framed and the movement is very particular the way they were dolly out of entire, it feels like entire cities, let alone sets. Yeah, we
0: we talked about ethereal camera last week with Wes Anderson. I mm. definitely think Curon has the exact same sort
2: of effect with a Actually different style. Yeah, yes. it feels a little more grounded though, the way that Kuron uh, does it. Uh, I didn't mean to yell into the mic just then, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, you're right. It's it's very comparable, but it's got that grounded look. And I think I think the the it's it's not a bitter film. It's a very beautiful film, even though the story is very. Uh, up and down. It's up and down. It's mostly, very mostly. It's emotionally hard hitting, I suppose, oh, yeah. in the sense very real. Yeah, that, that it doesn't pull punches, and that it's life. You know, and life happens, and sometimes you know, without spoiling any elements, sometimes some really horrible stuff happens to you just in front of you, and something you can do about it. Yeah, and then life continues as the film goes on to say, and it's, it's, it's a mind blowing film, and there's one other film. That tie this, I'll let you do your personal number one because I want to see if it uh, taps into that. Yeah. But they'll see.
0: Um, I'm going to give my number one. Oh, see, this is a tough one. It there is was a tough one. I, I do have honorable mentions if you don't mention them. Um, right. Just to let a uh, quick disclaimer I've, I've agreed with 100% of Jake's two pickings so far. Mm. Uh, both films I really enjoyed, uh, particularly Roma was on my list. So that's good to see that one get up there. Um, my number one goes to Nebraska, Nebraska. So, um, following our extremely wicked, chocolatey evil and vile podcast was yeah, the Nebraska podcast. Yeah, it's
2: one week later.
0: Um, big contrast in films and this film was, it's brilliant. It's, um, Will Forte at his best. Mm. Um, even a bit of Bob Odenkirk in there. <laughs>
2: uh, it's Alexander Payne at his best before uh, he did that trash piece of shit downsizing. Right? Like, what happened? Oh, Even man. other things like The Descendants, we've talked about on
0: the show. Like, yeah. yeah, it's this film is funny, tragic, and an entertaining sort of family drama and an insanely charming, uh, another black and white yeah, film. Yeah,
2: there you go. Um, and it's Bruce Dern, if I were correct. Bruce Dern is, yeah, the older fella, and he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Did he? He got nominated, yes, he did. I think he won. Did he win? Maybe. I'll have to fact check that one. Double check that. You might be right, because that's that's fantastic. I love... Nebraska was in my running, for sure. Um, I know you enjoyed it more than I did, but my takeaway from our podcast, the episode we did, is that I really liked the film, and then we did our episode, and we discussed it for like 30, 40 minutes, whatever, and I uh, came out being like, wow. It actually won Best Picture. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that. On Best
0: Picture and Best Actor. Wow. That's
2: insane. And
0: uh best actress in support. Nice. And Wait. director. Wait, what? <laughs> these have to be nominations. Oh, there must be a nomination. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, they're say they're all nominations. Oh,
2: okay. Did it win any
0: of them? Uh and then it also uh best original screenplay and cinematography, which all were deserving. Damn. Um I That's feel a like one. uh Forte. Well Forte got shortcoming for best supporting actor. I think he was also perfect compliment to Bruce mm. Dern. Um yeah just overall just great. Yeah, great fa- film.
2: fantastic film. I just just I think refle- it was all just nominations though no wins. Ah, oh, that sucks. The reflecting on um reflecting on that story even just I I'm trying to remember if I watched it the day we recorded or maybe the day before we recorded. It wasn't very long though. No. And I think you had No, you saw it that week as well, didn't you? No, all nominees. Um yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah, we both saw it fresh that week and um separately. So uh-huh. we came together to talk about it our first opinions on the show. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I just remember that. Just, wow, this film. Just appreciating it so much more. Yeah, I got lucky too. I just saw it in JB
0: and just saw the the awards and that's sometimes how I pick them.
2: That was one of the ones where the week... Yeah, we just done uh, Extremely Wicked and then either before we recorded or midway through recording, we just like pulled out the laptop like, oh, what what should we watch next week? And that was the one that came out and it was a beautiful choice. Yeah. So back to you, Jake. Cool. All right, well... I'll say it as part of my honorable mention, the one that I was going to compare to Roma could have easily been Private Life as well. I guess easily have been up there as well with Roma. Both brilliant films. My number one personally has to be Blind Spotting. And I know you're up there with me on that Absolutely. one. Absolutely.
0: This was a real, this is an appropriate runner up for our Golden Choctaw Award. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sure they'd appreciate that. This, uh, that film was brilliant. It's so good. And that's another one, again, really brought to us by Jesse Newell, and he came and talked to us on the show. It, was a, it actually ended up being our longest podcast to date. I think it's an hour 55 minutes. Really? That's how long our blind spotting discussion is. It's a great discussion. Oh, man. It's, such it was, a, it's brilliant. We've it's a brilliant used film. it
0: in speeches gone by. It's, yeah, yeah, we did, actually. I forgot about that. Very, very <laughs> entertaining film. And a very meaningful film. Oh, it's and a very it's, smart it's script. It's
2: so current, and you're right. And the the performers who obviously had huge help in creating the story. I mean, it is their story, you know. And it it feels so authentic. But the the filmmaking craft behind it is is surprisingly very inventive as well. Mm. Some of the stuff they do with the wrapping and the way they play with certain camera coverage and then, like, even some of the dream nightmare sequences. Like, yeah, it's stuff you wouldn't expect two random dudes to think of when they're like, oh, let's make a movie. And it's like, no, it feels like a genuine filmmaker making a film. Yeah. It feels very authentic and grounded and beautiful. It looks beautiful and has some seriously impactful moments. Oh, yeah, and its biggest
0: drawback is how hard it is to attain.
2: Yeah, exactly. I still haven't um, haven't ordered my own copy yet on Blu-ray.
0: Yeah, so a bit of a shortcoming of the film, as per se, that you mm. can't get enough of it. But before <laughs> we move into our golden chock-top award, Jake, awarded by the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. <laughs> yes. Let us talk about our honourable mentions. Cause yes, let's give a few shout-outs You and I yeah. have a few that, unfortunately... Didn't make our cuts. But we still love quite dearly. Mm, absolutely. All right, What do you want to start? I've got, like you've talked about Private Life, yep. which... I don't know how that didn't get in either of our lists. That film is.
2: It, it probably could have very easily replaced Dog Tooth for me.
0: Yeah, but um, same for me and and Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I'm like I could have interchanged it. Probably should have given Private Life the nod simply because it's a bit smaller. I love that film. I yeah, could, I've talked to it. I've. Uh, it's a. It's a really. It's
2: great. an amazing gem, and it'll it always be our first Zeke. It'll always it will be our first. It will. And um, it was a. I think it was a brilliant film for us to start because it's it was just the right level of, like, uh, I don't want to call it minority, but it, it is. It's a smaller film that not a lot of people have heard of, but it's also very easily it's... obtainable on Netflix, and it's very, very well made. I mean, it's the film that striked
0: the conversation. We were talking about it enough, and it had been a while since right. we tried a podcast, uh, mainly due to how inconsistent Blue Velvet was and... I mean, we. I approached yeah. you with the idea of doing a weekly regimented one mm. where it was a bit more structured. And I remember sending you the first run sheet and being like, well, these oh, are yeah. the sections. Let's do this, let's do that. And we only did a run sheet, I think, for the first four or five episodes. Cause yeah, we, we just
2: stopped doing it because we didn't need them anymore. Well,
0: we didn't because it's like when you know the categories and where everything sits in the show, it, it,
2: yeah. it goes naturally quite it's easily. A, it's not a ridiculous, uh, what's the word, schedule, I suppose. Not really. Um,
0: and... You know, yeah. we managed to get through those first few episodes, used up our trial period, <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay, well, I guess now it's time to- Get serious. Get serious. And here we are 52 weeks later.
2: Sweet. So- What other shout outs did you want to give?
0: Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, The King of Comedy and- Nice. Slash Joker. Um, unfortunately, both our lists did lack a 2019 film. Um,
2: we had a few 2018 ones in there. We did. Yeah. Um, with
0: Private Life being on the cusp and also Roma also being on the cusp. Mm. Uh, but Joker and was... And had being
2: on the cusp. Yeah. Uh,
0: Joker was definitely a 2019 film, and we did really enjoy seeing that film.
2: Um, and The Nightingale is something I would love to also,
0: give a little shout out to mm-hmm.
2: that's also sort of on the cusp. To mention an Australian it's, film. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's, it's really nice to have an Australian film mentioned.
1: Yeah. You uh,
2: got to do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it just it fails towards the end, but most of it is very well executed and very uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. In the dog tooth <laughs> school of thought.
1: Yeah.
2: Um,
0: I do want to give a shout out to um, basically like things such as last week on the show, Moonrise Kingdom. Um, right. Yeah. Did enjoy it enough to give it a mention. It's definitely in the upper echelon of films we've watched mm. um, and just sneaks
2: in. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. And Thunder Road. Ah,
1: uh, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Which yeah.
2: you and I... I'm surprised they didn't even top you free. to be honest. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty
0: perfect film. Shout-out to Jim Cummins. You're a champ.
2: And I might give one last shout-out to Booksmart. That was a fun film.
0: Absolutely. Do we want to say anything about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Does that sit somewhere in there, too?
2: Um, I suppose. I, I saw it twice in the theatre. Yeah, so I guess that was something to be said for that, and I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if in regards to this show and the last year of film, it stood out all wholly that much, but I guess now that you pointed it out, it's been a pretty dry year for films, a yeah, like really good films. Like
0: so. I'm looking at this and I think the longer time, go- Oh, I do actually want to give one that is a big, uh, okay. miss in my opinion. Uh, John Wick three chapter, uh, John Wick three. That's a good point. Um, had a lot of fun with the film. Is yeah. It, uh, Provocate, like a provoke, short, thought provoking film. No,
2: but it's fun. It's an incredibly it. well crafted action film.
0: Counter Reeves would get my gem of the year <laughs> for that and a uh, Duke Danger, Duke Dangerous, or whatever, in Toy Story 4. It was also pretty. Oh, good. Duke, Duke Kaboom. Duke Kaboom. sorry. that's it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So funny. He's had a good year. He did have a good year. Not um, us.
0: <laughs> but, and then I'm sure Jack would want us to mention us.
2: Yeah, I think Jack, he's still very firm on that being his favorite film of the year. So. Credit where credit's true, and it is it is definitely one of the better films of this year. Not that there were uh a wholly, year, yes. yeah, not that there were a holy amount of them. I'd say Joker and Once Upon another Time in Hollywood are definitely up there. I had issues with Toy Story Four, I, I, I had did too. big issues with Spider-Man Far From Home. And I enjoyed Endgame, but it's 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 Avengers Endgame, so there's mm-hmm. that. Um Fair enough. Well I guess yeah.
0: it's time to move into uh Golden uh, Shock <laughs> Top of the Year. For the Cinema Science Show podcast, Jake, I'll let you do the announcement. I'll insert a drum roll right now.
2: And our uh, number one film of the year in our first birthday is Once. We
0: did indeed fall slowly for this film and fall quite hard. I love you. (laughs) Um, Once was our episode 26, so the exact halfway year mark. Oh, my God. And, I mean, I recommended this film to you. We have been... Congratulations, Jim Carney, for endearing us with your first of your music trilogy.
2: Yeah. Oh, my... this, This film... I don't know where to begin with this film because you're right. You, we were literally recording our blind spotting podcast, and I think Jesse was making a point, uh, like in the first half of the show, and you literally just showed me your phone, a screenshot of once, and I just kind of nodded my head. I was like, "Yep, that's the film we're doing next week," because I think we forgot to figure it out, prior. Um, and then I watched your Blu-ray. You lent a Blu-ray to me, and I what You've already seen it, of course, at this point, and I watched it for the first time to do the podcast, and I was blown away. Mm. I was like, this film is phenomenal. The soundtrack, I still listen to the soundtrack this day. Yep. It is so good. It's brilliant. And out of, I think it's actually John, it's John Carney. Out of John Carney's John Carney um, like entire filmography, I've only seen his musical trilogy, if you will, mm-hmm. with Sing Street and uh, Begin Again, this one was the only one that really... Force me to rewatch this film over and over and over and over again. And it's not particularly well made from like a cinematography point of view, anything like that. Mm-hmm. But the story that it tells and the two characters of, of guy and girl, are just so, there's such an understanding that I have with that story. I think this film has
0: a, a testament though. Mm. Um, and if you actually look at Begin Again particularly, his filmmaking style of the sort of, uh, well, more Handy cam style. It mm. definitely feels. Um, some would argue more amateurish. Yeah, like and a documentary does, almost. Um, but it works. It's a very. It's an Eastern European. I talked about the mist halfway through this this year. Oh yeah. Having a very similar style. It, it's a style of cinema, and as long as at the end of the day, cinematography. I mean, we talked about Curran cinematography being beautiful. We've talked yeah. about Wes Anderson. So many different. Uh, you know, auteurs of, of the camera. and But at the end of the day, if the story is compelling enough, uh, you know, that always isn't... It trumps all, story. It, well, it does. story yeah. does trump all. And uh, Carney is a great example of uh, music use and mm-hmm. how music can just uplift a film because this film would not nearly be as compelling if it didn't have its music in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and everything from it—from using two uh, musicians over actors to do this role—as you know, juxtaposed with *A Star Is Born* last year, mm. they used one musician and one Hollywood actor, <laughs> but both very much huge Hollywood stars already. I mean, to say Lady Gaga is an indie darling is a joke, obviously. Right. Um, whereas this has used you know, two musicians that would
2: no one knew about really. Yeah. I mean very low key in comparison to you're gaga um uh,
0: maybe people in their immediate area might have known of them, but on an international audience I didn't know who Glenn hansett was. Yeah. Um, Margaret Inkelova, mm-hmm. I think it is. Um very nice. Um <laughs> and yeah, for the most part, yeah, I just they would just blew me away and that falling slowly see you know, song. It's is, incredible. And say it to me now. It's like the, and later mm. in the, you know, like, like I could, when I hear those songs, I'm, I'm, they still sit on my
2: Spotify playlist. Yep, I still same. play them, still yep. love them. Um, I bought the album on CD for yeah. my car months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
0: going to order it on vinyl. So it's like, yes. you know, it's, yeah. I uh, love that. It, it's amazing. And it's so good. It, it really shows that a man had an idea and he wanted to make this film and. Um, as he talks about, I think, in the behind-the-scenes mm. uh, stuff for it, John basically essentially was like, I didn't want any executive producers. I wanted a very small crew. Mm. I wanted them to give me money. Let me go away with it and just make the film. And if you look at the way he makes it, it very much is like both just act like it was, like his direction is very freeform, yeah. which doesn't always work. But in this context, it does, because if you told these guys to do too much stuff, they would come
2: off very robotic. Yeah, if it was whereas. too mechanical sort of thing. Yeah. I mean it goes back to the old saying that um, you know, if you cast your film right, your job as a director is ninety percent complete. Yeah. And I think him casting those two in particular, and I mean they got it they won best original uh song. Yeah. For it, so there you go.
0: So good <laughs> good on you once you guys have won the cinema side show <laughs> Golden Chock Top Award. Congratulations. Twenty nineteen
2: Yay,
0: golf club club. club. (laughs) It's beautiful Anyway, Jake, Ah, it's time to move into our film of the week Before we preference it um, It is a shame that out of all the films we talked about There were no Coen brother films There were not Um, And the Coen brothers, pretty amazing Now we have talked about them You did watch Fargo this year You watched The Big
2: Lebowski this year In the same episode as well yeah, I'm trying. If that was a 41, I want to I say. I think there's
0: a few that I might have watched some point during the year. Nice. Um, we do love our Cohen brothers. They do sit, and we will talk about them more in the uh, second half of the show. Just as mm. but we're just about to break into that part. But Jake, quickly. Mm. Quick, That's a little wee- bit of trivia for you. A little bit of Sinner trivia.
2: Oh, am I going to have to guess?
0: How many films have the Coen brothers produced oh, as a writer, oh, director, or co-directing oh, duo?
2: fuck. Okay. Was it A, <laughs>
0: 18, B, 14, C, 20, or D, 25?
2: Jesus Christ. Wait, can you say the question again? So that they've jointly directed? A writer, or they've been a co-directing duo, okay. or writer, director duo. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. So
0: if Joel, I think Joel's the one who writes more than... Ethan, so what were the four options again? 18, 14, 20,
2: and 25. I'm gonna say 18.
0: Jake Diagrella, you are correct.
1: Yeah, 18
0: films. And what is your favorite? By chance?
2: Gosh, um, off the top of your head. Off the top of my head. And Because I haven't seen. I haven't actually seen a lot of Coen Brothers. Just the ones you've films. seen. Uh, the ones I even remember. Because I think a lot of them I would have saw as like really young so i don't even remember like what i've seen or what they were about um probably fargo okay i think it's a fair i think i think the, the 90s
0: the... were probably renowned as their strongest yeah, decade yeah well,
2: i i love the big lebowski and i think i actually saw these two films on the same day for the first time um i love the big lebowski cuz as a comedy it works on so many levels like it just kind of sings you there but with fargo there's just it's it's a fun story it's something that like Oh, you know, uh, someone getting their wife kidnapped, mm-hmm. so they could, and then that going spiraling completely out of control. It's like a concept. It's like, uh, of course I heard that, and you're like, wait, but have I seen? Like, I guess I haven't seen. I don't know. And then the way they spiral, and the way the characters interact with each other, and and Francis McDormand is so good in this film. Oh my, fuck, you know, <laughs> and that's. I don't know. I I think Fargo is just, and tonally is just so. It's it's a dark comedy. It's so excellently done yes. as a dark comedy, so I think that might have to be my favourite Coen Brothers film. What, what's what's your favourite, Ezekiel? My favourite
0: <laughs> is most definitely No Country for Old Men.
2: Nice.
0: Um, and I'm looking just off the top of my head here, just off the films that they have made, I have seen quite a few of them. Um, okay. I've seen everything from their first film, What's just Their most recent Obviously being The Ballad of Buster Scruggs mm. um, It's hard to beat No Country for Old Men It creates suspense It's amazingly shot It's uh, got one of the best Antagonists in a film mm. all time Being uh, I think his name's uh, God I'm going to get it wrong and Hopefully
2: it's not <laughs> Such a good antagonist no, If you can't uh, even figure it out No his name's Sugar
0: in the. the... I don't oh, want to get it wrong
2: um, Are you talking about The actor's name right now Yes that's weird, because I thought the actor's name was Sugar. Oh, really? It's just Sugar. No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> it's Like Sugar, Sugar B. Ray or...
1: Javier White. Bardem.
0: Hey, no there you go. And Josh Brolin's amazing in it too. Mm. Tommy Lee Jones and Woody Harrison, All really good in it. Um, great film. Great film. Uh, Honourable mentions too. Uh, I've always enjoyed uh, Oh Brother, Where Out Thou and The Big Lebowski. Yep. Um, Fargo has always kind of sat in a very... Uh, it just doesn't connects with me as much as it does with other people True Grit I really enjoy Um,
2: Ah, yeah I remember seeing the DVD cover of that like blockbuster and Hail Caesar I never liked which was and Burn
0: After Reading I didn't like either that was them um however Inside Lewin Davis is definitely up there and Jake it is our film this week whoa really yes Jake this week on the show we are watching Inside Lewin Davis The cat. What's its name? I, I don't know. He snuck Do out the Do you think door. you're staying here tonight? Leaving? Oh, I was hoping to. Lewin Davis, a former Merchant Marine, is a folk singer in Greenwich
2: Village, New York City. He struggles to maintain his artistic in- independence against the commercial needs of the music industry.
0: Jake, Ooh, that's... this is your first time
2: watching this film. Yeah, I just saved myself on that read. That was a good save. <laughs> good save, my boy.
0: So, this is a smaller film from the Coen brothers. Not nearly as big and grandiose as some of their films. Mm. Had a budget of $11 million. and pretty, Pretty decent. For the most part, people that watch this film really love this film. Such is music. Love this film. As you talked about at the start of the show, Mm. this was my first film in the 365 Challenge of 2019.
2: Mm. And I'm about to read you your own review of this film. (laughs) I got it on here. So the the review you quickly put on Instagram for your number one film of the year, the Coen brothers deliver another masterpiece and ballad of the underdog in a compelling and simple story of a struggling folk artist in the 60s. Oscar Isaac is quickly becoming one of my favourite actors to watch as he plays a frustratingly yet charmingly flawed musician so well. This film is a must-watch must, must watch and easily in my top five for the Coen brothers. That is the Zeke Morganheim review from... It's pretty very, sharp. That's very, all I need. I'm bait. out of here, Jake. You take the second half of the show. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, that was pretty much exactly a year ago now. That's crazy. So,
0: Hasn't changed.
1: Yeah. I think
0: later go. in the year I ended up watching Annihilation. He's still awesome in it. He's probably the only part of Star Wars I'm looking forward to, or have looked for. I guess because,
2: yeah, this is pre-recorded, unfortunately, so Star Wars hasn't come out. That but. assumes that we actually want to watch The Rise of Skywalker in the first three weeks of release. <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably not the first week, at least. But uh,
2: No, um, I'll watch this show just to get my curiosity out of the way. I don't even care about spoilers anymore. He's
0: legitimately like
2: the only person that remotely compels,
0: and it infuriated me in Last Jedi how... He basically turned into a little rug rat running around a ship. Basically, (laughs) he was so cool in episode seven. See, this is the thing: we we can argue. We're not going to go into another episode seven, eight. (laughs) This is actually a Star Wars
2: review. (laughs) Um,
0: And we could talk about all of the Ray and Adam Driver stuff till the cows come home. We have, but he does get shelved in that that eighth film. He does. He gets put on that ship, and he has some weird arc that makes no sense. That did did oh, We're not going to get into it. I can see your face changing <laughs> already. Um, it doesn't make sense. All right. uh, and he gets shelved, and he's a really cool might, character in Episode 7.
2: There might actually be too many characters by Episode 8. Yeah, I know. But oh well.
0: So, what can you
2: do? I don't know. There is nothing you can do. Because we're talking about a movie that's not Star Wars, is it? It's true. We're actually talking about
0: a film that is completely and utterly different from Star Wars. And a complete total <laughs> shift, honestly, for the most part, between I mean, Cohen Brother films, just looking at their the filmography, they go all over the place. They they tone. have
2: a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, they switch between fun to I mean, there's nothing fun about No Country for Old Men, really. I guess the fun is in how much of a horrible badass person Sugar or Javier Bandem's character is. But Mm. I mean, I'm looking at *Hail Caesar*, *Lebowski*, but after reading,
2: I guess my my takeaway of *Common Brothers* films. Obviously, the dial looks a big one. It, it's as it's, it's as sharp as ever in this film. Very sharp. And I love. There's even the little play on words with the uh, with his name in the car. Yes, I thought it was quite clever. Why am I forgetting the the um, Lou N. Davis, whatever yeah. it is, of the mistake there? But I think another takeaway from from their films that I. I that I take away from, haha, is that their plots tend to involve characters sort of spiraling out of control in certain situations. I feel mm-hmm. was very subdued in this one, but I still got that sense. Yeah. And uh, I got that sense in Fargo and the Big Lebowski, especially.
0: It's definitely uh a fish out of water is a very uh, relatively consistent theme. Mm. Uh, a world where a character doesn't really know what they're getting themselves into and it- Generally, the world around them becomes more chaotic, and they spiral slowly out of control. Mm. Uh, I mean, you look at things like—I uh, think his name is actually, if I'm not mistaken—in uh, No Country for Old Men. I'm just going to check Bros- Josh Brolin's character's name. Going to
2: give a one. little fact check over but here in the cinema. I think it section. is Lewin. Uh, no, that sounds right.
0: But yeah, no, um, they all enter into worlds they uh, don't really understand, or they the world is ch- yeah Lewin. That's very strange. Um, <laughs> And this one's sort of the same with Oscar Isaac in a world that's shifting around him and yeah, he doesn't really have control over following the death of his co-singer. Mm,
2: um, I, think that, I think you hit the nail on the head. In this case, especially, it's an evolving industry yeah. that he's, he's uh, too stubborn to catch up with. And he's, yeah. you know, he's a wannabe loner in a world where everyone wants barbershop quartets. Yeah. You know, and it's like he, he can't really do that. And that goes into the log line of like what's the commercially viable option in the music industry in nineteen sixty one. It's yeah. this thing. This is very clearly not the thing he wants to do. And it's still it's still very relevant today. And that's yeah. that's why at times I forgot it was even a period piece. It's because it feels quite relevant still. Yeah. I mean it's it's constantly
0: true. The music industry and the film industry are constantly evolving and times are changing. Ironically that I use that. Phrase. The times are changing. Given the events of this film and what happens at the end of this film Mm. um, and who Lewin sees performing at the end of the film. I had
2: to to read that. I was like, oh, that makes sense.
0: Yes. Um, And in which uh, the world does actually slowly progress from the start of the 60s towards Mm -hmm. the end of the 60s into the wannabe loner who sings about heartache and the world around them constantly changing. Yeah. Uh, Bob Dylan uh, was one of those people that did that and this film comments on the shift that they have in the 60s is, uh, particularly in the American landscape, you had Vietnam and stuff in the world where Mm. the world's suffering was being accounted for and folk singers were starting to sing about the world's issues and people were starting to talk about them. I mean, we think of all the, the 60s for the most part, particularly in America was a huge decade. Um, You know, you had like, like I said, Vietnam. And then you also had, you know, like, the the Black Revolution and up you mm. know and them being recognised as equals that happened in Australia too so a lot of the events of the world at that time were sung about in song but this is the events just before that break and right yeah I think uh, it takes a more
2: personal touch
0: yeah in the story than and, that and like you said a wannabe loner uh, who is struggling <laughs> in the current music landscape which you know he might have thrived in five six five ten years later yeah 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 But as of right now, it's not the case.
2: I I certainly had fun um, when I was watching this. I sent a Snapchat or or a snapshot. I took a shot of um, a screen with when it's him, he goes up to Justin Timberlake and uh, Adam Driver, who gets a little bit piece Mm -hmm. in this film. And I I remember sending the photo to a friend and being like, oh, look, it's Kylo Ren and um, Poe and Justin Timberlake doing an album cover. (laughs) She's so like, what? And I was like, oh, yeah, this came out before Star Wars. so Yeah. So that was an interesting thing that they got paired on screen together. I was like, oh, that's cool.
0: It's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: Um, so what's your verdict Adam, about that's this That's definitely film? Adam Driver, like, right? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, good. I'm not freaking out. No, you're not.
0: <laughs> what's your immediate take from this film? Did you
2: enjoy it? Um, I, I enjoyed it. I feel like going into this, and I haven't heard much about this film. Uh, I was like, okay, it's a Coen Brothers film. It's got very high... Uh, like people really appreciate this film I know you adore this film yep and uh, I know you've wanted to do this as one of our pre-recorded episodes for a long time yep uh, so yeah 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 well no like literally months you've had kind of this film locked in for this period of time where we're yep. gonna do this this episode on so I knew you had a big attachment to it um and that being said as much as I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think I adored it as much mm-hmm. as you did, or as a lot of other people did. I think it just kind of I I get everything it's trying to do, and I think it does a lot of these things quite well. I just I know it's gonna. It, it's very comparable to Blue Jay, where yeah. I very much enjoyed it at the time, really appreciated it. Um, but it's it's just not gonna crack any of my top fives or top tens. And I think I think it's because it's missing a special source that in most films of this kind, where let's say it's a, it's a character study, I think there's a special source that usually comes in later on, some twist that really clicks in my brain. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I really am following this character. And I don't think that ever really comes. And the movie kind of just ends. And I, I see the arcs. I see the you already talked about the world-changing arc that mm-hmm. we almost do see towards the end of this film but I, it just didn't hit me on a personal level to the point where I could say I really adored this film. Okay. So, I don't know. That's my takeaway, I suppose.
0: No, I think that's a fair fair takeaway. I, I think I am a sucker for these sort of films too. Right. This is definitely a category of film. I am a big, as we talked about in the first half of the show, with our golden chock top winner. <laughs> um, I'm going to keep saying it till you just accept it, Jake.
2: I've, I've accepted it a long time ago. Uh, I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> I do like musical films, mm-hmm. and not
2: necessarily
0: musicals, but films that involve musicians. I like motivated musicals. I like to call them. That's a good way of calling so, them. Yeah. Um, I like them, and I also like films that have an underdog in the real landscape of the world, not necessarily a like. Right. As much as I enjoy The Big Lebowski, it's not exact. It's the complete tonal opposite of this film. This right. film is. Desaturated, it's grounded, mm. it's very much this is the reality of this world. There is no uh crazy characters or colourful, and that's not to say I, I really enjoy Lebowski's up there and, yeah. and Oh brother that we're out there, as I talked about earlier in the show. I like those colorful, kind of comical sort of ones too, but for this type of film and what this film's trying to talk about,
2: I love it. I love this type
0: of if, film. This is the type of
2: film I want to make. Yeah, yeah. It feels um, very appropriate, and I do agree. I feel like it is definitely stylistically restrained in that way. Yeah. And you're right. These are real characters in a real world. It's not It's not like bombastic Big Lebowski characters in a Big Lebowski world where everyone's over yeah. the top. I think mean, there's really only one character in this film that feels a little over the top, and ironically, that's John Goodman's character. Yeah,
0: but I feel like John but Goodman yeah. in every single one of the films that He's in with the Coens, always plays a larger than life character, and that might yeah. be down to John Goodman as a person, too. Yeah, I mean, he's just great in that type of role. There's very few times I've watched him in a film and been like, You are incredibly subdued.
2: <laughs> I think maybe 10
0: Cloverfield Lane might be one that it's like he's a little bit more, but his performance is so good in that. Oh, though. it's so
2: good, it's so fucking so good. good. Um, watch that movie, So, so yeah, don't, watch, don't, don't, care don't care about care the last 15 minutes, yeah, don't, exactly, exactly. Which you, yeah. As <laughs> soon as she leaves the bun. Well, oh, I guess that's a spoiler. <laughs> but that's when the movie really ends. You'll know when the movie should end. You'll you know when it. the producers stepped in. You can tell. Oh, good. Don't want to talk about it. The rest of the movie's fantastic,
0: though. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I think. And something about Oscar Isaac in this film, I mean, if you look, I don't think he has a lot of. Uh, this is his breakout role,
2: eh? In a lot I of ways. I think it
0: is, yeah. And it's. How does someone of his age go this long without being seen, you know? Man, it just blows my mind. It blows the mind. He's 40 of years Zeke. old. And he made this film So he when would he was, have been older so it's than this an Ex Machina are the two big things that pushed him into uh, the mainstream. That makes sense. Um, I see that. And anything I see him in, I enjoy him in, basically. Um, whether the film's good or bad, for the most part, he's just a really, really entertaining actor. And this film, he's great. I think... Uh, mm-hmm his character is this kind of detestable person but he's also you want him to succeed because he's had a lot of there's there's motivation behind his shittiness as a person
2: yeah yeah um, i agree with
0: that and the people around him they also detest him but they also kind of have a his relationship in particular with uh i'm going to have to going to have to get this name up unfortunately
2: but oh is it with um the Gosh, think, I know this. I've got to read that. With Kerry
0: Mulligan, who plays Jean Berkeley. Jean, that's it. Jean, uh, think of
2: Jean. Uh, And the
0: uh, abortion angle, in which they, mm. uh, the arc, in which she says that he, he has impregnated her. They've yeah, yeah, And yeah. now he has to get an abortion. And then over the course of him uh, booking the abortion yeah, appointment, he discovers organized. that the first time this happened to him, uh, she basically she kept the kid.
2: Yeah you ran up with the money.
0: Um, and that leads to a strange, torn thing where he feels like he might want to see this kid. Mm. Um, there's, there's a lot going on in this man's head. And his he's sort of a strange relationship with his father is now where his fear is a character. An internal fear is his character is going to lead to now. He's very much alive son that he's mm. just discovered. And he doesn't want to be like that, but he's also too afraid to... Uh, interact with his. I think. I think it's a four or five year old kid. There's a lot going on. Three, yeah,
2: three to four. I'm only. The more you tell me about this, the more I'm realizing this is actually very eerily similar to to the feature script I want to write in yeah. a lot of ways, both from um, the way they use music in this film and also the father thing you just explained. I was like, holy crap, this sounds very familiar right now. Yeah, but it's... But, it, um, yeah, no, that's great.
0: I think, yeah, like the feature script you want to write yeah. you know, is it's a little different.
2: It's one. definitely different, but in terms of the fear in the role of a father is a very strong theme that's something I want to explore in the future. And the use of music, which I wrote and compared it to John Carney, who obviously we've talked about before, where he his musical films, the music is the soul of those films. And I feel like here it's more of a, a vehicle device for character study. Yeah. Which is something I also want to use music as in a future. Of and I mean, not so, to yeah. peel more into the highlight scenes of this
0: film, but one of the mm. scenes that uh, happens and involves one of these songs and his interaction in response to the song. hmm reveals a lot about the character and also is very powerful. And really, uh, I think Carney does a really good job, uh, particularly with Begin Again, looking into the musician way and how it works a little bit more. I think Once is very much a romance story that music is used as the bridge for romance and is the drive for both those characters' journeys Mm. into discovering that they don't want their original goals, they want each other, but they have to accept their original goals as characters. Mm. Um, however, I just feel like um begin again taps on it a little bit more how music is like a little bit more of a character device and how the industry very much like this right. one does.
2: Okay, that's fair. I can buy that. Yeah. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> no, enough. but I think I think it does tap into a lot of those ideas. And I think to your point about his relationship with Gene, I think his relationship with literally every character in this whole film is, mm-hmm. is fascinating. I feel like his relationship with the, the, the I forget his name, but the guy who owns the, the cat that he carries around a lot. Mm-hmm. And you're right, the relationship with the dad, the relationship with Gene, the relationship with that that singer guy who's in the, the um the uniform. Yeah. Uh even even Adam Driver for like two seconds, like his relationship with all these people is so interesting. Mm-hmm. The way the the dynamic that they have with their dialogue and the way he treats certain people, especially some people very cruelly towards the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think that was my takeaway for, for him as as a Lewin as a character. Lewin? Yeah. Yep. Inside Lewin Davis. Ha <laughs> ha I got it. Um, yeah, the just the, the insight we're getting to him through these interactions with other people is so fascinating. I think we get an idea of where his head's at. Because you're right, there's a lot going on. This abortion thing is just is is a little crumb of the story, really. Yeah, he's got his strange
0: relationship with his father. his yeah. struggling, music career falling apart. Uh, the psychological impact that his uh, partner, mm. his singing partner, is uh, is co. Musician suicide is left on him, yeah. Yeah, um, I love the reveal of that by the way because you don't really know for a little while. No, you just assume that he left, yeah. He, like, very much like other musicians, and his relationship with uh, this character that doesn't get any screen time, like, at all. I mean, like, his partner mm. never is revealed, yeah. Um, well, He's they
2: they never flash back to like no. A there's thing. no
0: flashback. There's just him on yeah. an album cover with him, but that's that's essentially all we get of his co-star. Yeah, which is which I like that. Which is perfect because then it becomes much like a film that a feature film that I want to write. It becomes more about a character study of a mm. person going through their life and their build to what we believe is redemption, but really doesn't end up being redemption. Mm. I mean, when you start this film, you feel like we're leading to. Lewin getting his big break, getting the album. That whole trip to Chicago to see, you know, Bud Grossman right. and perform in front of him is to get that that break. And he doesn't get it. He gets told he's not he's good enough.
2: Immediately told, like, oh, you should group with someone. Yeah. That that moment actually, that's such a painful moment when he responds like, Oh, you had a partner, he's like, Oh, well, you should get back with your partner. Yeah. And he just responds, he's like, Oh, that's good advice. And he just leaves and it's like, Oh my God. That yeah. is painful,
0: and then the fallout interaction with Gene, where he's like, "I'm just tired."
2: Yeah, okay. I, that's I, that's probably my favorite line of dialogue in maybe not of all of their films, yeah. but that that is such a brilliant line. That's like, wow, that is so usable in and as an artist, yeah. Sense, you know yeah. what that's
0: like. You yeah. know when the door gets slammed on your face again and again and again, and you just sit there and you're just like, "I'm just tired." Yeah. Doesn't and the follow up, the follow up line where he's like, I thought it was just going to be a night sleep thing, yeah, but I realized exactly. I'm just tired.
2: That's such, I'm done. You, that that's a perfect line segue into like an emotional breakdown right there. But he never has them. He never breaks down. He never like. But I think I, that's crazy. always more
0: satisfying. It's yeah. like especially when she follows up with, "Oh, you can perform tomorrow," and mm. then
2: for the fiftieth time, and I have to <laughs> share the basket, and he just laughs. laughs. Yeah, he laughed. That, that is as close as we get to an emotional breakdown. It's just that little sad laugh of like, oh, of course, sort of yeah. thing. I do kind of like that because, it, again, it just speaks to his character.
0: Yeah. This is like, I think the reason I like this film is, for the most part, I think Lewin Davis is probably one of, if not the best written character in any of the Coen brothers' films. Mm. He has many layers. He has a lot to do in this film. And... You understand, you, for the most part, you understand what's going on through his head without him even saying anything. Yeah. Um. I think this film does a really good job of characters around him speaking a lot, but he doesn't speak as much, but we still feel his struggle. We see what's going on through his head, like when he's performing for his father and mm. has this beautiful song, which leads to his father crying, but then pissing himself. And, <laughs> you know, Lewin's reaction to that and, like, getting, like, you know, really angry following, like, pouring out his heart. There's a lot of real, mm. real perfect stuff going on.
2: A lot of emotional beats to hit Absolutely. as well. Absolutely,
0: And you understand what's going on. And I think, you know, there have been some underdog characters the Coens have written before, and they've all written them differently from the dude, who's <laughs> the this dude. Guy who literally just goes with the flow. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Lewin, for the most part, is trying to break the flow. He's trying to innovate on his life. mm because he feels like he's gone with the flow for too long, he's trying to break the mold of himself and try and recover himself along the way, and yeah, you, know, you know, I just think that he's a very compelling character, and the characters yeah. around him complement him really well.
2: Yeah, and it, it goes back to as well, like one of my one of my favorite sort of subversion of expectations, if you was, when he comes back to that family. And they're all very understanding and apologetic. Like, he lost his shit at them the last yeah. time he stayed over. He's playing the music. And you totally understand it, why he would break down at that one of the girls replicating the partner's part of a song. Yeah. Um. But then when he comes back, they're super understanding, and he even says, like, what, you're the one angry at me? Mm-hmm. Like, he's surprised by that. And I was like, I love that dichotomy of, again, his relationship with other people. Yeah. But, yeah. So this film was nominated for two... Oscars, I feel like like I feel like like we're just like let's talk about Oscar nominations. Oh, well, it is an award show today. Uh, that's true. That's very true. Uh, so this film got nominated for best sound mixing and best cinematography, which I can kind of buy. I think the sound mixing is very much just it's a it's a musical. Yeah, you know, in a, in a, in a lot of ways. So it's like okay, we'll just give them that. I buy of. cinematography. It's got some gorgeous. I stuff. was gonna say, I think the big takeaway for me from the cinematography is. And this is this goes into the circular storytelling they do with the guy who's in silhouetted shadow mm-hmm. at the beginning and he comes back at the end who beats him up. The way he's lit in constant silhouette from mm-hmm. front to back and the way that Oscar Isaac is still lit and you can you can make him mm-hmm. out but you can't make out the figure and you never do. I was like, that's impressive yeah, lighting. It's like technique. Sin City
0: only didn't cost nine thousand dollars. <laughs> It
2: would have been inside. Jettacore oh, in but I bumped. But, yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jesus Christ, that cut deep. No, but that was. <laughs> oh man, it's the funniest joke on the show. Oh man, this has been a good one so far. Um, no, that lighting, like and, uh, many lighting setups in this one, just so impressive. It's, you're right; so beautiful. They're mm. gorgeous shots. Particularly that Sorry. scene where he's singing to his dad,
0: or even when he's mm. singing to Bud Grossman.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and they've just, got that one light that just streams out. Yeah, yeah. I think mean, mean the lighting stood out way more than the, any of the camera positions. I I don't remember the camera doing anything particularly interesting, no. but the lighting was it very interesting. Yeah. That's my thing. Yeah, this exactly. Is the, this
0: is the proof of the formula. It's like, it's not what the camera's doing, it's potentially what it's pointing at and mm-hmm. why it's pointing at it. And I think this film ticks those boxes. Yeah, absolutely.
2: The ending, and like I said, it's a bit of a circular storytelling element they they imply here. It's the uh what do they call it? It's like the C A B D ending
0: or whatever. Yeah, I suppose The D-A-B-C so. ending.
2: And the thing is like obviously we don't know that mm-hmm. what we're seeing is the end at the at the beginning and they bring yeah. it back and I think I looked into it a little bit I didn't have time to look at all the, the bonus features on the Blu ray that you you let me. So I actually watched this on the Blu ray. Five you bucks me. at JB High Five Oh, well. Film there you go, everyone buy it. Um, but I was watching a little bit of the, the special features and stuff they had on that, and I remember them mentioning part of, I think part of the reason they wrote it like that was they want you to see him initially get beat up and to ask that question, well, who would beat up a folk singer? And the idea is that you'll get to the end and you get that aha moment and the realisation of, well, how does he get here, sort of thing, despite the journey he has. And uh, I'm going to be honest, I didn't think the ending was that terribly effective. So, really? Yeah. I don't, well, you tell you tell me about your thoughts on. So, just, what did just, you like about it? Um, I don't know. Like, I thought it was a clever little circular twist, but I, I don't know if I was wholly satisfied with, just considering where we started, where we ended up. Which is it's fine that it's in the literally the same place, but I, I don't know. I. <laughs> It's tricky because I know what they're trying to do with his character, mm-hmm. and the way you described it um, with who he sees inside as he as he walks out, that the world's gonna sort of change and reflect past him. Yeah, that he's not necessarily going to make it himself, but I don't know. I just, I just feel like that ending was meant to be a big power punch to the gut, and I didn't necessarily get that feeling from I it. I think it is. I think okay. it's
0: completely the opposite. I think the 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 Bob Dylan esque performance that he passes mm. is to show that the change is coming um, for potentially his plight, but at the same time he's probably going to miss out on that due to his yeah. just the world that is around him that's constantly beating him down. And honestly, his borderline is his self you know the nihilism in his character. Mm. Um, I mean, for the most part, he accepts uh, the whole thing is with his. He can't afford his sailor's license, and the reason he performs That's that right, night yeah. is to afford his sailor license. He's given up, like, and I feel like that man beating him down for heckling that woman's performance, yeah. and then watching as Dylan's potentially going to cause an uproar in that place and lead to his big break. That Bob Dylan became the lone folk singer, and the definition of the '60s, you know, folk singing led to you know a plethora of musicians to follow him. And Lewin's not that person, but he could have been that person, mm. and that's the difference. Um, and I think his ending and bidding that guy au, au, au revoir is yeah. almost yeah. like him letting, like him also saying bye to this this dream. Mm. You know, as okay. a, as a silhouetted suit beats him down. You know, I mean, it to me it feels more like this character has fully given up on the music dream and has yeah. given up on this life and trying, and it leads to... I mean, in that interaction with Gene, where he's talking about being tired, he's given up. And the reason he performs is simply so he can make enough money to afford his... To go into another life yet again, sort of thing. The sailing life that you're supposed to go into in the first place. Yeah. He's given up chasing, and that nod to Bob Dylan there is more a way of saying, well, you could have been on this train, but you're going to miss it. You don't even know you're going to miss it. It's totally an apparatus way of it's totally for the viewer it's yeah, not for and it's
2: it's definitely aided if you're more aware of that of that musical tradition which obviously i'm getting a bit more now you explaining it to me yeah. now i i guess i don't know i i see all your points well and it's it... hard for me to describe why i wasn't a huge fan of the ending
0: i guess it's that sort of a it comes back to apparatus but also screen theory it's it's us as viewers knowing the political like the poli- you know the poli- Political uh, connotations to the scene, and also mm. the historical connotations. We know yeah. that's Bob Dylan, and we know what Bob Dylan went on to do. Yeah, um, and all of the the duets and the the threes are singing, and they're all singing very folky, happy stuff. That's like the stuff from Johnny Cash and stuff. The people mm. that inspired Bob Dylan, but Bob Dylan went on to go do his own thing. And yeah. inside, Lou and Davis is really could have been an innovator of this time, like Lou and Davis could have, and but because of all the stuff that happens around him, he's going to miss that boat. And it's kind of that homage to musicians and artists that are potentially ahead of their time but don't get recognised for how innovative they were because someone just a little bit later just got noticed and took... Right place, right time, and you write the right dedication. Right place, right time, exactly.
2: I guess I can I can appreciate that nod. I suppose I, that's the thing. It's hard for me to describe why. I'm like it was, it's more of a gut feeling than anything. I mean, and everything you're saying to me makes perfect sense. Yeah,
0: I mean, let's tie back to something like once upon a time in the West. At the time, it was critically acclaimed, yes, but it wasn't recognized for nearly as uh, as much its amazement and how cinematically masterful it was until mm-hmm. years passed. Same thing goes for things like Alien. And and the Planet of the Apes films, they were right, entertaining yeah, okay. and people enjoyed them. But from an analytical critical point of view, they weren't recognised till years after, and people wrote articles on them. Silence of the Lambs, another big one. Most people didn't want to touch that film at the time. Yeah, Although I suppose. I guess it won its Oscar. It won sure. the
2: Oscar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and even like Planet of the Apes, I feel like that had a bit of Star Wars syndrome, just because it had so many sequels. Yeah, exactly. Pretty quickly after exactly. that. But I see your point though. So yeah. I mean, okay. What about John
0: Carpenter's Halloween? Something mm. like that. Something like little Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Something yeah. a bit smaller. Okay. That gets recognised a bit later on. Innovative for its time, for, to its genre, and to the type of film it is. Just like music. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> any? Uh, do you want to break into highlight scenes?
2: Um, I'll just I'll I'll throw a few quick things out there. Uh, so I wrote stuff. Obviously, there's a lot of use of the cat. Yes. In this film, um, and the entire time I was thinking from a like a semiotics point of view. like, what does this cat represent? Stray cat. Yeah, exactly. Very nice. But I was also... I was under the impression that it was a sense of responsibility that Lewin was kind of weaving in and out of throughout the story. There were times when he would bring the cat with him everywhere, and then there's times when he will leave the cat uh, in an abandoned car in the middle of the freeway. And that cop is a dick, by the way. Oh, yeah. Just saying. Um... I also wanted to mention I like the hallways into the houses and how Jeans is like very skewed inwards, those doors, like yeah. very weirdly skewed in. And then it contrasts with Adam Driver's hallway where the doors are a bit more symmetrically placed against each other. And I wanted to mention I I thought it was interesting that the bar where they're playing music in was like the, the patrons, if you will, were actually very respectful of the music. Yeah. Like I I would expect like oh I think a lesser film would have Brought a, a singer songwriter in there to perform, and no one's paying attention. In fact, that's kind of what happens in, in John Carney's stuff sometimes. There's a lot of people don't pay attention. It takes to one person to know this, but I think it was a product of its time, 1961.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people yeah. do listen in musical performances back in that
2: time. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I think for the most part, if you go to the right musical bars, too, mm. people are generally more respectful. Yeah, I, I know think for so. a fact. Like, if you go to Mojos on like a, an open mic night. of the people that come in to watch the performance are watching the performance and if you want to get a drink at the bar at the back of the room you have to be pretty quiet if someone's on like an acoustic performance yeah exactly it's very very, and I think definitely uh, this bar uh, is very much a musical bar
2: Well, it it helps sell me on the idea that he talks about industry, you know, and and especially when he talks about how he can't let his practice albums leak out because that's just not what you do in the industry. You need to keep that mystique. And I liked his obsession with that. Yeah. And it it sells it, the fact that he's in bars where the people respect the music. As Gene says, the times
0: are going to be there. Like the the press do come to this bar to seek out new uh, talent. Yeah. Which, especially that night when he was supposed to perform and Bob Dylan's there. Mm-hmm. Comes well, back to go. that thing. Damn, he could have gone up on that stage, performed, and been that person instead of Bob Dylan. Well, there you go. But instead, he got drunk, got beaten up, and it wasn't him. He missed his boat.
2: Okay, okay. okay. I'm totally coming around in the ending. I can, I can give you that. No worries. So, <laughs> any highlight scenes for you, Bud? Um, yeah i I found it surprisingly really hard to pick a highlight scene here. Uh, not ne- not necessarily because there weren't a lot of good scenes. I think it was just. I was struggling to think of one that really stood out in my head. And I think the one, this is a weird one, is very early in the film, initially the cat gets out and he's taking the cat on the train. Yeah. And there's a collection of shots when the train's driving by and the cat starts looking out the window. And we're getting these POV shots of like the passing walls and stuff. And it's a bit more stylized than I would expect. And I don't know, what, that scene just really stood out. And I was like, this is really interesting. Okay. And I guess that's my highlight scene <laughs> for inside Lewin Davis. No, that's fair.
0: Um, mine's gotta be uh and I thought talk, we've talked about it a little earlier on mm. in this review, is the Fare thee well uh duet at the dinner table. Right, okay, um, okay. And how Lewin lashes out at the two patrons that have taken him in and who really liked that signal that a single he did with his partner. Mm. Um, and of course it's Lewin sitting at a table and they ask him to perform the song.
2: He's a bit reluctant.
0: Um, he's very reluctant. He's <laughs> very much like, I don't want to perform it because I mean on the surface he's, he's saying like, I'm not a trained poodle. You yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. You it's like, this is my job. I wouldn't ask you to, to do a lecture in front of me sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you're correct. But obviously
0: under the surface it's to do with his dealing with his loss, and his pain and, how he always feels anchored to this song because he hasn't got a single career to stand on. Yeah. His career is defined, him as a person for the most part, was defined by the songs that he sung with his partner. Um, And he starts performing it and and the lady patron, she joins in and he lashes out. Yeah, he doesn't like that. She goes, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, his, it's, part. it's his part. Yeah. And he's like, you don't get to sing that. Don't sing that. And it's really good because it's just yeah. like no one's saying anything, but you 100 percent know as the audience why he's saying don't sing that. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those scenes that I know for this film gets talked about a lot. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a really good scene in my opinion. It's really uh, emotional. It really shows what Oscar, you know, Oscar Isaac can do. Yeah, as we've talked Absolutely. about, like this is his breakout role apparently. This and uh, X Mark another year after, so mm-hmm. that's insane to me.
2: I, just, um, I don't think I've ever actually seen him in a lead role before. Oscar Isaac. Yeah. He nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. And
0: I think that scene mixed with, uh, honestly, the scene between him and Gene. Jean, and Jean's they're sitting on that park oh, bench. Oh,
2: she's gone off her face. She's and like, you asshole, you asshole, you asshole. should
0: have double asshole. wrapped
1: it.
2: No, you should have
0: <laughs> double wrapped it. And <laughs> it's, double it's wrapped. a mixture of funny. Oh, and, she's so mean. It's funny, yeah. But it's savage. Yeah, and he's just so passive. Doesn't give a scene. shit. Yeah, um, and I think those two scenes were my my highlight scenes. I think this film is a must watch. I still stand by it. It's a refreshing experience. I
2: might I might pick up my own copy and Blu-ray. Yes. Um, like I said, I, I I wouldn't give it. You gave it on your your uh, 2019 list. you gave it a nine out of ten, and I'd stand by that. I wouldn't go that high, but I do really appreciate this film. And after talking to you a bit, I do appreciate a little bit more. Of, a lot of the historical well, I'm context. Glad that's the point of the show. <laughs> there you go. That's wrapped up into it. So yeah, written, directed, produced, and edited by the Cohen Brothers. See, My you gotta just—you can't do it. Uh, yeah. You can't find people <laughs> to do it right.
0: You just do it yourselves. <laughs>
2: that's what I've learnt. Uh, but no worries. So that's uh, that's inside uh, Lewin Davis. No worries. Out and wide release. Uh, probably See? in a a store near you. I might quickly check the uh, the Netflixes and the... Uh... I think it is on Netflix, actually. Okay. If I recall, actually.
0: Well, like then Why
2: th- why did I borrow a thing from you, then? I don't know. Oh, uh, it does not look like it's on Netflix. It was on Netflix. Okay, maybe it's gone now. You it's liked... on Amazon Prime. Oh, there you go. It's on Amazon Prime. Oh, and it's on Stan. There you go. There you go. Aha. Enjoy it on Stan. No worries. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jake, go. what's... New in cinemas this week. New in cinemas. And uh, again, a bit of a disclosure. We are pre-recording these episodes, so we might, uh, like you said, Zeke, a bit of an asterisk on there. Asterisk. So uh, we'll see how it all goes. But bad boys for life. So... uh, that's hmm? coming out in January? Yeah. (laughs) It's ages away. I mean... Uh, not, not for us in no. our present tense podcast <laughs> land. You just put an <laughs> asterisk. on it. We were
1: pre-recorded.
2: <laughs> uh, Seventeen years after Bad Boys Two, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence return to bring back the band together again. Mike So there you go. Doolittle, Robert Downey Jr. Doolittle. Saw that. They, they don't even want to put Doctor in the title nope. anymore. That so that that exists. That would be assuming his uh, occupation. We're <laughs> gonna say Assuming he's not dead by then. I saw the trailer for that. It does. It looks generic as uh, fuck. I'd even bother with the trailer as well. I've never seen. Well, I'm pro- I'm sure I have seen the like the older ones. Well, the original or whatever the case. What? I'm sure I was a young wee lad. Bruh I remember Doctor Doolittle. Murphy Murphy if I sit down and watch Doctor Doolittle, I remember the scenes. Dude. I I know, but I don't remember anything about it other than that bombshell. So uh, that's a uh, boom. Yeah, boom, boom. It's uh, from Jay Roach, the director of Trumbo, and his new film about the the three ladies uh, on some sort of uh, real-life scandal where they took down the heads of Fox News. Oh, I also saw that trailer the other day. So it's, uh, is it Charlize, Firon? Charlize. Firon? Charlize, uh, Margot Robbie, and Nicole Kidman. Looked also generic effort. Aw. It's our boy, Joe Roach. I'll give it a chance just because of the Trumbo man. And last but not least, Go! Explanation mark, which is a newbie in a Western Australian town, attempts to win the national go-kart championships in this Australian family sporting drama. I've heard nothing about this,
0: nor will I f- want to hear. it. And in
2: fact, when I looked it up on Google, all that would come up was the flicks link of which I originally found the source of this film. So I don't know what I don't even know. Scream doing I, for all I know. Clicker Productions put this film out. How, I wasn't even. I didn't even how know about great. It. <laughs> Is Screen West, Jake (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, Jake What are we watching next week On the show? Next week on the show We are watching Apocalypse Now
1: This is the end Beautiful friend I've been a soldier since I was 19 And I still haven't learned how to Captain Willard is sent to
0: Cambodia on a dangerous mission to assassinate renegade colonel who has won the trust of a local tribe. Ooh, that sounds interesting. This film was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. This would be our fa- first Francis Ford Coppola film. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Who is the troll that gave this a certified rotten?
2: <laughs> Someone did.
0: <laughs> well, that's all I really have to add. It'll be interesting to do a Francis Ford Coppola film.
2: Yeah. No, it'll be uh, first of many, hopefully.
0: Yeah, we've done Sophia. We've talked about Roman. And yeah. now we're doing Big Daddy. So, <laughs> 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 this film is Apocalypse Now. It really uh, doesn't need that much of an introduction. That is cheeky. Thank you for joining us on our first birthday.
2: I thought you were going to say thank you to me. Thank you for a year of this Jake thank you for a year Zeke this is it's been a it's been a wild year here's opinion. to another year yay sir clink we really <laughs>
0: should have brought some like champagne or something
2: in there. I know pop <laughs> done yeah that no was worries. the trick of the entire champagne bottle thank you for joining us One for go. this year to you our fans out there we do
0: love you uh, thank speak, you for speak for yourself. Nah, I love for, you guys. What do you got for <laughs> us for a year? Uh, we do love you. We appreciate it. Hope you've enjoyed this year with us. There'll be many years to come, hopefully. But thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show podcast. Mm. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Apocalypse Now. This is not the end. Uh.